You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by HuntStand. HuntStand is the number one hunting app in the country, and at only $29.99, HuntStand offers a ton of functionality for hunters all over the country. Whether you own your own property or strictly hunt public, you can choose from over a dozen base maps, view property ownership information, 3D mapping, local weather, log your sightings and harvest, as well as use their trail cam management software, and print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. And today's kind of a an update episode, if you will, sort of a hodgepodge of, of topics, none of which were worth a, a dedicated episode, but a bunch of small topics that we wanted to make you all aware of or, or thought were worth mentioning, all kind of crammed into one episode. So we talk about um, this, this songbird disease, uh, we talk about the new list of controlled hunt opportunities, some of the you know some of the new hunts some of the changes there we talk about the trail cam ban that was announced in Arizona and you know some thoughts around that so like i said there there's a few other things we we cover in this one but just a a random sort of assortment of of things that we thought were pertinent and uh thought you all should know about so that's what we talk about today. Before we get into that, though, I want to talk about our sponsor, Monster Whitetail Grub. So Monster Whitetail Grub, as you all know, if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, is a, a deer feed company based right here in Ohio, and they source everything right here from Ohio, and they've been a longtime sponsor of the show, and I appreciate you all supporting them. They support us, and everybody wins right you guys get a good product from monster whitetail grub monster whitetail grub gets some support makes some money so it's all good they have their signature monster whitetail grub feed which is a high protein feed it's got mineral mixed in lots of different additives you can get added to it so it's a great product we've we've really had good luck with it they've got flavored corn that takes you know everybody know deer like corn but the flavor additives that they have sort of take corn and, and turn it into a long range attractant, kind of kicks it up a notch, and then they have just straight minerals. So whatever you need from a deer feed standpoint, they have it. So check them out, Monster Whitetail Grub. Go to ohiohuntsman.com slash sponsors, and there you'll find a link on how to get in touch with them, where to buy their stuff in store. They have they have they're getting their product in more and more retail locations. And if there isn't a retail location near you, you can order direct from Monster White Trail Grub and uh, they'll ship it to you. So with that, let's get into the episode this week. Welcome to the Ohio Huntsman Podcast, where three brothers, Jason, Jacob, and Jeff, discuss all things hunting in Ohio. Our goal is to be your source for accurate and reliable hunting news and conservation issues in the great state of Ohio, as well as some fun and interesting conversations along the way. This is the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. Are you listening? All right, so today we're going to kind of run through a handful of topics that uh, we want to update everybody on, keep everybody up to date on, I guess. Um, Things that we thought 
you might find interesting or important to you. So, Jeff, have you thought about any kind of particular order? I guess the other thing I should mention is it's just Jeff and I today. Uh, Jacob had a prior commitment this week, so he's sitting this week out. So any kind of particular order you want to go in with this, Jeff? Not really, no. I I mean, I don't see any topic being, you know, more important than the other kind of or, you know, any of them really, you know, okay. having to feed off of each other kind of thing. Yeah, they're not all, none of them are really related in, in, in any way other than sort of Ohio outdoors related. Um, I guess one thing I'll mention, because it's coming up, <clears throat> The and I know we've mentioned this in past episodes. Um, I think with our release schedule, this will have already passed. But I guess to just say it, the the upcoming Wildlife Council meeting, uh, there there is an upcoming Wildlife Council meeting on July sixth. I think this will release after that. But I say that just to, as kind of a precursor to there are, are always ongoing wildlife council meetings that are open to public comment. The next one after the July 6th meeting is uh, looks like August 4th and then another on September 8th. They're all listed as from 630 to 830. And if you want to provide comment on a topic that's being that's currently being considered by the council, you have to pre-register uh, it says at least two days prior to the meeting, and they give a phone number here, uh, 614-265-6304. And uh, one other caveat, all comments are required to be three minutes or less. So if there's something going on in uh, the the Division of Wildlife, you know, is, uh, I guess, uh, presides over I, I don't know the right word for that but uh if there's something that's that's a an active item um those are good ways to kind of make your your comments heard versus just banging away on your keyboard uh on some facebook post or something so i guess we'll start with that um all right jeff why don't you uh what do you got well, I guess maybe the most, uh, I don't know, timely story, um, and potentially by the time this comes out, we may have a better picture, um, but just kind of to, to fill people in, um, there is a, uh, a bird disease outbreak, an unknown uh, bird disease outbreak that is taking place. Um, in Ohio and throughout the the region, um, and they it's an unknown pathogen. They're not really sure what's causing uh, this disease, um, but it's affecting songbirds. Um, so it's not affecting um, birds of prey or ducks, um, but just about all the other types of birds um, are being affected. Um, so really the only game bird, I, I haven't heard anything about, uh, grouse, um, or, uh, like if it's a 
you know, affecting pheasant. Um, but it is there are there have been outbreaks in morning doves. There has been morning doves that have been affected by this disease outbreak. Um, it's causing the birds to have like white crusty eyes, and then it's also causing neurological damage that prevents them from flying. Hmm. Um, so it's just something to be aware of. Um, and kind of as, you know, conservationists get the word out about, um, the ODNR is asking that, uh, people, uh, stop feeding birds for a while. You know, they empty out their bird feeders, clean them in a 10% bleach solution, um, along with their bird baths. Yeah, because I had seen, um, I guess I hadn't seen that they were asking people to stop feeding birds, but I had seen um, washing your feeders. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, so it could, uh, you know, it could all blow over, you know, and kind of correct itself, or this could be, you know, the start of a more severe wildlife disease outbreak. Um and have you heard, does it impacting turkeys at all? I haven't heard anything about turkeys, no. Okay. Um, I, I don't believe, I haven't seen anyone report any impacts to turkeys. Um, but uh, a, lot, a lot of the things I've seen people reporting are uh, like robins, blue jays, starlings, um, morning doves crows birds like that hmm, okay well i guess <clears throat> any i guess before we move on anything else on there that uh you want to touch on well no i i don't think so just kind of something to be aware of uh and keep keep an eye out for so <clears throat> Along the bird lines here, I thought this was a cool story that uh, the Division of Wildlife had posted. They've they recently released a 28 year old banded eagle in Marion County after um, rehabilitating it from some injuries. the The article here says that the bald eagle had suffered injuries to her foot and eye, <clears throat> and uh, received medical care from wildlife professionals and was released back to the wild in Marion County on June 18th. Um, they actually have had the bird uh, in custody. <laughs> there again, not sure what in their possession, yeah. I guess. Um, uh, since April 28th, <clears throat> They had they okay. responded to a call about a, a landowner's call about an injured bald eagle and were able to safely capture the bird and uh, <clears throat> transferred the eagle to the Crows Hollow Wildlife uh, Wildlife Care Center in Richwood and were able to rehabilitate the the bird's injuries, which I thought was a nice, you know, like a, especially um the fact that it was a 28 year old bird uh, that, you know, during, during the assessment during of the injuries, it, it says here, they discovered 
it was a it was banded as a hatchling in on June 10th, 1993, at Reno Beach in Lucas County. Uh, so that's how they know it was a 28 year old eagle. Uh, it says on average eagles live about 20 years in the wild. So this is a particularly old eagle. Uh huh. But yeah, that's, I thought uh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. That also, cool... I mean, yeah, the fact that they could rehabilitate and release is. Yeah, because a lot of times that doesn't happen, right? The bird, you right. know, they're they're too badly injured. They got to put them down, or they become a, <clears throat> you know, they can never be released back into the wild. So, thought that was a cool story that that uh, was worth mentioning. Um, well, let's just convince con- continue in the <laughs> down the bird vein. <clears throat> I didn't realize that. Uh, we had so many bird stories, but uh, as we're going through them, we do. So we mentioned turkeys and grouse in, you know, this this bird disease. But the uh, ODNR Division of Wildlife is doing some surveying of both wild turkey and ruffed grouse this summer. And they're looking for, I guess, People to volunteer, some, some, as they say, citizen scientists that can participate in surveying Ohio's wild turkey and ruffed grouse populations. So they're looking for people to report sightings uh, during the months of July and August. So uh, every summer here, it's, it says every summer they do um, brood surveys for turkeys and grouse to estimate population growth. Um, and that relies on the public to report observations of all wild turkeys and ruffed grouse. So if you if that's something you want to participate in, if you want to help them understand the populations, which I think the better their data is on how many of those birds are in the area, the better they can manage things, right? So basically what they're asking for is, <clears throat> to submit sightings of turkey and ruffed grouse, like I said, July and August, you can submit observations um, through the wildlife reporting system, which there's a there's a link to this in that article. Um, you can go to wildohio.gov and that should you know you should be able to kind of track down that wildlife reporting system, or you can use the Huntfish Ohio mobile app. Which, uh, if you guys haven't downloaded the Huntfish Ohio app, <clears throat> it's uh, it's a it's a nice tool. I, I I was impressed with with what they did there. I I use it often. I mean, you've got a a locally downloaded copy of the regs, which I always you know find handy for reference. You know, quick reference. Uh, you don't need cell service for that, and so it's a nice tool. Yeah, if you haven't downloaded it, you're missing out. You need to download it. Yeah. I mean, it just uh, makes everything so much easier, really. Yeah. You know, you can do most of the things you need to do, you know, related to hunting and fishing right on the app. You know, check in deer, buy licenses, um, check the regulations store your license mm-hmm. so yeah 
but yeah, yeah it's, so it's nice to see, you know, research going into turkey and grouse. I mean, grouse are kind of a, I don't know what I want to call it, but a species that I'd really like to see more effort be put into uh, conserving and, you know, yeah, uh, bringing back populations. Um, cause most, most my life, I mean, the, the idea of actually going grouse hunting in the majority of the state is kind of, a you know, it's like snipe hunting. Like we, you, we might jump one, right. You know, like if we go out as a group and hunt all day or whatever, hunt all morning, we might jump one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you're lucky. Yeah, if you're lucky. I mean, yeah. I think down by our our hunting cabin, there's three hillsides, is what I'm gonna call them. That, you know, <clears throat> if we pushed them, we might jump one out of. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if we pushed all three, we might get one bird that day. Yeah, and that's the only place I know of. You know throughout the whole state that have grouse you know i think other than in those locations i think i've seen one grouse anywhere else in the state and it was just you know kind of one of those weird things it was just sitting in a ditch along the road mm. yeah i don't think i heard any any drumming this spring either i've heard you know during turkey season down there yeah i've heard it in the past but i don't i don't remember i don't think i heard any this spring yeah now that you mention it i think a lot less i heard a lot less you know maybe just one time where in years past it's been annoying <laughs> yeah. You're sitting there trying to call turkeys and you, you know, have a grouse drumming in the woods by and it, you know, sounds like someone's starting up a mower. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I I don't think I heard any this spring. Which is unfortunate. Hope I like I'm with you. I, I that's a species that I would I would really like to see recovered to much higher numbers. Um, it just seems like a cool, a cool bird, a cool species that, you know, would, I'd hate to see it disappear for sure, but it would be great if we could get them back to a level where, you know, you can hunt them or at least run into them, you know, more frequently. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, they, you know, the, the working theory is, you know, habitat loss. Like there just isn't that kind of habitat in the state anymore. Right. Which, I mean, I understand that, but you know, it would, it definitely be nice, you know, to keep that native, uh, upland game bird species, you know, cause that's a, kind of a unique opportunity really in the state we don't yeah 
you know, it's the only upland bird really that's native, you know, to, to hunt. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, The other thing I'll add here is this article says that in 2020, the public submitted 248 valid reports uh, with a statewide average of 2.7 poults per hen. And the 10 year average is 2.6 poults per hen. So. Is this turkeys or grouse? Turkey. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just, just getting clarification. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, I, uh, I've been seeing a bunch speaking of turkeys. I don't know if they'll stick around or if they want sightings prior to July, but I've been seeing for, there was a couple mornings there where every morning there was like four or five turkeys across the street in the, the bean field across the street there. And Ella and I would watch them and, and they'd kind of mosey on off and do their thing but yeah every every morning there for a for a while they were uh you'd look out there and see a bunch of black dots back there in the field okay so too far to really tell if they had any poults with them yeah no yeah Yeah. and it you know it's probably the beans are probably calf high so if they were little I, you know, I don't know how big they would be at this time of year, but if they were little poults, I don't think you'd, I don't think you'd see them. Yeah, they they do a pretty good job hiding in there this time of year. That's yeah. my thing, kind of with this survey thing. It's like I don't know if I, you know, if I saw turkeys just about anywhere, you know, that's natural turkey habitat. If I would be able to identify if it had poults with it, because right. you know grass is too high, fields are too high. Yeah. You know, unless they pop out in someone's yard or a cut hay field. Yeah. Crossing the road, I guess that's that happens. Yeah, that's a good point. It would be hard to. I would. I'm sure they take that into account. You know, like, did you see poults with it? Yes or no, and yeah. if so, how many sort of thing? Yeah, I'm sure they do. It's factored into their algorithm, too, you know, yeah. relative abundance. Right. I want to take a quick break here and talk about our sponsor, Mastin's Deer Sense. Mastin's is a deer scent company, as the name implies. They're also a predator scent company. So they're, they're getting into the predator space, or they have gotten into the predator scent space, Mastin's has a lot of interesting and unique scent products like their scented gel crystals, their double scent stacker. Um, they, of course, have just straight liquid scent, but lots of cool things. If you, if you don't know what the double scent stacker are or their, their scented gel crystals, I encourage you to go to mastinsdeersense.com and check that stuff out. See if it's something you're interested in using. And... The other thing that I, I always like to mention is their prices are very reasonable. So that's important to me. I, you know, I want to I want my money to go as far as I far, as far as it can. So that's a good good perk from Mastins. So with that, like I said, go to mastinsdeersense.com, browse around, see what they have to offer. If if deer scent or predator scent is a tool that that you already use or would maybe like to try this fall 
I encourage you to check out Mastin's. They make a great product, and it's a it's a good bunch of people that that run the business. So, with that, we'll get back into the episode. But like I said, go to MastinsDeerSense.com. What's next on our list here? I guess to maybe maybe we'll go to the the big story, the national story. Uh, but you know, it's got people talking, which is that Arizona has banned the use of trail camera statewide, uh, and all year long, which just blows my mind. Yeah. Like just because they're, they're, they're such a part of like normal everyday operation here. The idea of them being outlawed is just like wait what right (laughs) well especially i mean especially on private land yeah you know that's that's the one where i think a lot of people think that you know it's like wow that's government overreach for sure yeah you know what i do on my land with you know my wildlife is you know up to me kind of thing so what I've, is the reasoning? Do they have they? Yeah. So they've came out with their reasoning, which I understand. I mean, it's it's a very different environment and hunting culture and everything there. So, I mean, I their reasoning does make some sense. Um, and there's a lot of different facets to this but one of the major reasonings is that you know it's an arid climate and so basically everyone wants to put their trail cameras around the watering holes Mm. you know which there's very few watering holes i mean there's not many so everyone wants to put their trail cameras around the watering holes and so basically every watering hole was having you know was being surrounded by trail cameras right you know there was uh reported instances of you know like small watering tanks having upwards of a dozen trail cameras around it so these would be like on public ground or, or ground yes. that's accessible to the public? Yes. Okay. Public, yeah, yeah. I mean, private ground too. I mean, the problem, I think, was existing somewhat on private ground as well. But yeah, public hunting areas, you know, there was watering holes that were being surrounded with more than, you know, more than 12 cameras. And, All right, okay. You know, they were saying that that, causing you know an unwanted disturbance to the wildlife you know year round people are going in and disturbing these watering holes and chasing the wildlife off so that you know you're basically sort of forcing the animals to go nocturnal if they want to get to the water without people and then also because there's so little there's so little cover and water 
you know, the places where you're going to hunt are very defined. You know, you may have this whole wildlife area to hunt or whatever, but you're not going to go stand out in the middle of the desert. You're going to be by the water or cover or whatever. Right. And people who had like, you know, tags for first archery season, it was almost guaranteed that they would have their hunt disturbed by people who were walking in to check their trail cameras because they have a hunt for later in the year, second archery season, late season, whatever. Like it was the quality of hunting was going down. Hmm. And then they also were saying that people were just literally beating the crap out of each other over trail camera arguments. Really? You know, yeah, you, you, they, they were getting an exponential growth in calls for what they called it. I think hunter on hunter violence. (laughs) Oh man. I can't remember what term they used, but that like, Basically, there was a lot of issues. Altercations, yeah. Yeah, because either, you know, you're walking in on my hunt because you want to check your trail camera, or you put your trail camera up facing my trail camera, or mess with my trail camera, or whatever. Mm -hmm. So they were getting more and more calls for that. Also, the other reason they cited was that it was causing like what's the word I'm I want to use uh unnecessary wear on the the public hunting areas because I guess how a lot of public hunting you know public lands work in Arizona is a lot of that property is leased to cattle ranchers to run cattle on. Okay. And basically the ranchers are responsible for the maintenance of all, like all the roads and the, the watering tanks like that are being used by cattle and wildlife. Well, you know, because people are having trail cameras out all, you know, all year and they're checking them there's more and more traffic on these roads and you know causing additional wear and also the ranchers were getting upset because the hunters were basically chasing the cattle by just going in they're chasing the cattle off the water okay and you know the cattle were struggling huh so i whether that's i mean i whether that's a good excuse or not, you know, if those are just made up excuses, uh, I don't know. Because they also do cite that they just felt that it was unsporting. It was not, it was no longer, it was, you know, sporting to have trail cameras, which is why they decided to do it on private land as well. Because all those issues are basically you know, uh, not an issue on private land, 
Right. But they've said that it's it's not sporting because the the land is so sparse that with the use of trail cameras, there was no you weren't giving the animals any uh, any chance at evading detection. I guess I could see that. I mean, because I was sitting here thinking, like, I don't know. I am having a hard time getting on board with the private land use. Yeah, I I mean, I'm still having a little bit of a hard time with that. I mean, yeah, it, it's it's hard for me to say, oh, yeah, I want you to regulate what I do on my private land. And I want you to regulate regulate what my neighbor does, too. Right. You know, I mean, obviously with, you know, bag limits and, you know, things like that. Like I, yeah, I can get on board with that. You know, things that are, uh, you know, tragedy of the commons situations where like, basically if you don't set rules, then everyone wants to, to harvest more of the resource or do more because they know the neighbor is kind of thing. Right, yeah. So I, you know, I get, I get some of it. You know, obviously there's there's a place for some gover- government oversight on private land, but I don't know. I mean, using a trail camera. I mean, to us, it's so natural. Right. But also, uh, you know, if you here if you catch a a a deer on camera you know all that really tells you is that oh hey there this deer showed up on this property at one point you know where out there in arizona they're basically we're saying like you know if you put a camera up on a watering hole and you know there's a, a trophy elk there well, that trophy elk will come back, you know, like basically has to come back during daylight hours to drink. Right. Yeah. You know, like, so all you have to do if you know it's there is sit there and watch it because they have to come back. Or I could imagine scenarios, especially with cell cameras now, where, you know, maybe you've got some sort of natural terrain thing, some sort of a pinch or a funnel where you could set a a cell camera up you get notified hey this this animal just walked by and you know you know 90 percent sure that that animal's then gonna the next place he's gonna show up is that watering hole yeah and so you could i mean i could see that sort of supporting the it's not sporting argument for sure yeah uh Another thing that 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 because I I read an interview from one of the the people who was on Arizona's basically version of Wildlife Count Council, you know it was their I don't know what they call it the the Game Commission or but yeah it's same thing sure. as Ohio's Wildlife Council yeah um and what he said in his interview was like the problem had gotten so bad that there was companies who were managing trail cameras for other people 
But really? Yeah, they would. There, you could hire a company to go put trail cameras out for you, and you know, either a cell camera that, you know, and they're just changing the batteries so that cell camera runs all year long, or uh, cameras with like SD cards and they're basically going out, switching batteries, taking the SD card, switching it out, uploading all that stuff to files so that, you know, you have all the, the pictures. Right. You know, like it, it had become a, a problem and they only saw that it was, you know, it was growing exponentially mm-hmm. and they only thought it was going to get worse, you know, cause they said, Basically, now, right now, it's manageable, the problem. In five, ten years, it could be, you know, unmanageable. Yeah. I mean, I got to imagine it was, you know, I've never hunted Arizona. Don't know anybody that has. But, uh, I mean, I think there's some, aren't there some, like, pretty sought-after elk units in Arizona? Yeah, like I, for trophy bulls. I'm. I think so. Yeah, there's uh some. Yeah, very sought after. I mean, most states out west have some pretty sought after units. And well, I guess, I guess where I'm going with that is, you know, Arizona's like my understanding is they. They are trying to provide a a healthy population, some units that have trophy animals on them, like a you know a destination spot for hunting. They they want good hunting in their state, and so for them to take this kind of a dramatic stance on uh, something like trail cameras, I've got to imagine they you know I mean they didn't see any other way of curtailing or or solving the problem i mean they were like this is you know it's only getting worse we got to do something and the only way we see fit to do this fairly and evenly is to just outright ban them for everybody yeah also another thing that they mentioned was that arizona's one of only like five states that has seen hunter growth over the past five years or some, you know, five or 10, or I can't remember how many years, but um, they're actually experiencing hunter growth. Oh, really? So they are anticipating that growth to continue and they have this, you know, limited resource that they need to protect. Right. You know, because it's mm. uh, that's sort of another thing that a lot of people don't quite, I think, get about this story is like a lot of Arizona, you know, it's like, oh, Arizona's, you know, big state. Like they got plenty of elk. Well, uh, the elk are limited to a, a small range compared to the whole state. You know, it's not okay. the whole state isn't elk habitat it's you know uh basically just like a central 
region, you know, it's, I don't know, it might be 25% of the state, probably a little less, but, you know, it's okay. just a, a little, like, the central region is kind of where the most of the wildlife population is, you know, big game species, at least. Hmm. Yeah, I uh, I guess, you know, at the very beginning, we mentioned the, the Wildlife Council meetings. You know, here's a good example, um, while not in Ohio, but that would have been something that I'm sure hunters would have wanted to weigh in on. And, I'm you know, I'm sure Arizona, like Ohio, takes public comment at those at those meetings and whether or not it would have changed anything you know, hard to say, maybe not, but because they ultimately have a, you know, a duty to the wildlife and, and protecting the resource. And, and so in this case, maybe it wouldn't have mattered, <clears throat> but for here in Ohio, you know, that's the type of stuff that uh, you can submit public comment on during those wildlife council meetings. You think they'll ever... Like I'm trying to, you know, I mean, I don't know, trail cameras or, you know, do you think they'll, they'll, do you, do you think there's anything in Ohio at the moment where, you know, it's like, you know what, it's, it's getting out of hand. It's too much of an advantage. We're going to have to ban them. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I have a few thoughts on this. I mean, the the first sort of thought I have is in areas of Ohio with less cover or less food, you know, obviously trail cameras play more of an advantage there. You know, areas like Western Ohio, I mean, you get you get less cover, especially once the crops come off. Right. Um, so obviously a, a trail camera is more, the information you get from it is a little bit better because there's less places. I mean, especially if the, you know, if you're trying to track down a big buck and that big buck's not being seen, it's like, well, it's not walking across these wide open fields in the middle of the day. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's gotta be walking the Creek bed, you know? So if I, caught it in this patch of woods and I caught it in that patch of woods and you know it's connected by a creek bed or it's connected by whatever that isn't you know maybe it's just a uh you know a roll in you know a low spot where the deer yeah. can you know so I mean yes it's there's definitely areas where trail cameras the the information a trail camera is giving you is more valuable than others um, but I don't think that that's too, you know, I don't, I don't think that it could ever get where a trail, you know, a trail cameras as they are today could be too much of an advantage, but technology is, is advancing quickly and to the point where like, oh, hey, I have every bit of my woods or whatever covered by cameras 
you know, the live feed to my house or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's not right. You know, I could especially, you know, if you have a small wood lot like, oh, I can just put a, a live feed camera in there. And then when the deer come in, you know, I can we can set up a, a deer drive or whatever and, you know, they push them out and shoot them. But I can just sit in my warm house all day until that happens. Right. You know, like that's that's not fair. You got to I mean. You you can't know for sure where the animal is that you're, you know, going to go hunt. Right. So yeah, it, it it gets in back back into <clears throat> a conversation we've had in the past about you know what's the ultimate goal? Uh, I guess of not of the hunter but of the the managing agency, right? In this case the ODNR Division of Wildlife, you know, like if their goal is to harvest a certain amount of animals to keep the population at a level that they deem appropriate then who cares why you know i mean like let people harvest them how they want and then right i mean that's one extreme right we don't so much care how you do it as long as it's safe which i think is why a lot of the you know, the the, the high-powered rifle, the, the necked rifle cartridges are, you know, that's a big argument there is that there's just too much risk involved, too, you know, states too populated, too much risk in human injury. Right. Not so much a they're too effective and, you know, we'd kill too many deer. But, right. You know, it poses an interesting conundrum i guess yeah yeah i it's definitely yeah it's it's interesting you know because obviously with hunting there has to be some aspect of fair chase but what's fair chase is hard to define yeah i mean i i i could see if you know in that case You've got, you know, whatever, five acre woodlot, 10 acre woodlot that, you know, whatever the situation is, you're able to, you know, I don't know, run electric or the technology gets such that, you know, you got a couple batteries and maybe solar panels and you can power these things. And I mean, to your point, you know what's in every square foot of your woods, you know, I don't know how you regulate that, but I could see, um, you know, we've talked about this in the past and we're all crossbow users, but like not outlawing crossbows outright, but putting some limits on like, yeah, that's, uh, you, you've taken the crossbow too far, right? That's not, that that's not the original intention when we legalized crossbows as a legal hunting implement. Like I could see them <clears throat> potentially as techno, you know, I mean, every year things get faster, 
you know, I mean, there's some inherent limitate, you know, just limitations in in physics, right? Of of right, a, a you know, a stick and a string, but you know, we've seen these arrow guns that, you know, depending on the way your state defines a crossbow you know maybe they're maybe they're they're legal in ohio the way it's you know the way a crossbow is defined they are not but and i don't i don't know an example of a state where you know they had to change wording or anything maybe there are maybe there aren't i don't know but you know i could envision a scenario where you know the definition the you know the sort of legally accepted definition of a crossbow is something that you know propels an arrow without the the need for holding a string back or something you know well then an air powered bow fits that definition and you can use them right so i'm just saying like i could envision a scenario where technology you know crossbow technology you know maybe it's using electromagnetic acceleration or something <laughs> like the top thrill dragster at cedar point or you know whatever um i don't think we've seen the end of crossbow innovation i mean compound bow accessories are evolving and the machining tolerances are getting better and the materials are getting better, but you know, it feels like that's kind of tapped out, right? You've got a limitation on, you've got to have a human hold the string back and, you know, hold the string back and pull the string back. And, you know, barring something that I'm, I'm, not envisioning it it sort of feels like major you know industry changing technology innovation in the compound bow space is probably tapped out um but i think that there's there's a i don't know about a lot but i I think there's still some things to come in crossbow or uh, non-compound bow arrow as a projectile weaponry. Maybe I'll say it that way. <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely think that there's more to come, you know, with, uh, well, and I mean, I, I think with, with compound bows, I think a lot of the innovation there is definitely gonna, I mean, and, it has been in the past couple of years has been in the, you know, the, the optics realm. Right. Yeah. You know, in the sights realm. Um, so I, I mean, I, I don't know. I think it's human nature to always come up with something better. Um, honestly, I think one of the, the areas that I think a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of failures as broadheads. Yeah. I mean, uh, with how advanced everything is now, uh, the fact that basically your standard broadhead 
you know, that, that, that someone can make an argument that your standard broadhead is just as good as, you know, the most advanced broadhead is like, how is this possible? Like, shouldn't we have, I don't know, something, I, I don't know, something better, I guess, like rage broadheads or, you know, mechanical broadheads out all the failures you know right well. yeah but i get when you're pushing something so fast to such extremes you know and recently the it's all about weight you know being lighter and lighter and lighter you know that's kind of the realm that things have been pushed it's hard to make something that's without failure yeah yeah, I think we've kind of hit that that the end of that pendulum swing, if you will, and I, you're starting to see a, a a swing back toward you know heavier heavier arrow weights. Um, you know, less about just pushing the feet per second. Uh, pushing the feet per second game, and especially in in hunting, you know something that you're going to get good penetration has the ability to break some bone. If, if it happens to come in contact with that, you know, I know the, the hunting public guys are, are, you know, doing a lot of, uh, I think they've all pretty much gone to fixed head broadheads with heavier arrow weights for, you know, for better penetration, kind of guaranteeing those pass through shots and things. So yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. I guess we'll see what the future holds. All right. So is the last thing on our list, um, of unrelated topics other than the first couple were (laughs) happened to be about birds, the, um, the controlled hunts. Is that the last thing we're going to talk about? Yeah, I think so. Um, and I guess kind of to bring it back full circle, um, one of the the new things this year with controlled hunts is they're offering a couple of controlled uh, pheasant hunts, okay. which I'm pretty excited about, really, because I, I don't typically participate in, uh, you know, pheasant hunting at wildlife areas um because of the safety factor i i have done it in the past um and uh, there's just a lot of guys out there going after you know not a lot of birds you know there's not enough room for all the people who are there so I I really like the idea of having a controlled pheasant hunt, you know, lottery where potentially you're going to have, you know, more safe situation, less guys, you know, per per acre. Yeah, because especially at some of the, the smaller, you know, northeast Ohio wildlife areas. It's there isn't a 
square inch of that wildlife area that isn't trampled. And then when those birds do come up, you know, there's four, five, six guys shooting at them from three different hunting parties. Yeah. And it's no big deal to have lead rain down on you. Yeah. So it can get pretty wild. Yeah, definitely can get pretty wild. Um, other interesting things they got a there there's a second last year they started a uh a controlled hunt opportunity at mosquito lake uh state park for squirrels um there's a second opportunity now to hunt at the oh i'm trying to think the fit the fish hatchery that's uh down by uh like newark ohio i'm trying to think of what it's called can't think of it i'm not going to be any help there (laughs) yeah so uh notable uh absence would be plum creek the nasa facility um there's not a controlled hunt opportunity there this year oh interesting Um, i think that's you know uh What's where I'm looking for reciprocal effects of uh, the pandemic. Um, uh-huh. I think they still don't want, you know, the public on there. So that's yeah, because that's kind of been a just a a longstanding hunt, right? Yeah, yeah, it's been a you know uh, a staple, if you will, of controlled yeah. hunts. So, but yeah, this year that one is absent from from the catalog. So, hmm. um, beyond that, there there wasn't a whole lot of uh, interesting changes. Um, th- once again, the blind drawings for waterfowl hunts um, will be online, um, like last year, um, but you can only apply for one blind drawing because what they used to do is they would have all of the waterfowl blind drawings on the same day so you physically and they were in person so you physically could not go from place to place to get into all the drawings Uh now they are they're online but you can only apply for one once you apply for one the rest will gray out so that you can't apply for any more right what's the best way for people to find the like the catalog of controlled hunts um well the best way is to go to the hunt fish ohio app um and it's under resources you can uh you know click resources i think you might have to click hunting and then it it's you know reg's book and one of those things is controlled hunts Mm, okay. And it will tell you the catalog. Um, in years past, they've actually released a a catalog for controlled hunts. Um, like a paper you, book? Yeah, that you could get a print copy of, or at least you would get a digital copy of. Um, this year, as of now, that hasn't been released. I assume that they're probably going to release it. They're just not quite ready to release it you know they're a little behind on it okay 
um maybe by the time this airs uh it'll be out um but yeah right now it's just uh like a press release it's a web page instead of like a a digital catalog okay so all right well yeah i I don't have anything to add there um if you do enter in the in any of the uh controlled hunts good luck hopefully you get drawn and anything else we want to touch on i know this has kind of been a a hodgepodge of topics but we thought they were all none of which were were big enough to fill an episode in and of themselves but combined we thought you know there's enough there to uh warrant an episode and to get everybody up to date on things so anything else we should mention jeff before we shut it off i don't think so uh yeah good luck if you're uh applying for any odnr controlled hunts and also now is the time to to look around for other controlled hunts that might be going on um you know with your city or local park district or county park district yeah you know a lot now's the time when a lot of those are happening you know the 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 lottery the drawings are happening so uh if you last year realized that you missed out on one you know now's the time to to look and see where the application is and how to turn it in all right so that's it for this week hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode hopefully there was something interesting or helpful or that you hadn't already heard like i said there's a there's a a handful of things in there the the turkey and ruffed grouse observations um, you can either go to the the Wild Ohio website or report sightings through the Huntfish Ohio app. There's also the new list of controlled hunts. So make sure you guys are checking that stuff out and uh, participating if that's something you're interested in. Hopefully your summer is going well. I think I've, I've mentioned this before, but hopefully you're having a good summer, enjoying the warm weather, and... Uh, Looking forward to the fall. So with that, we'll shut it off. And uh, just, again, as always, want to thank everybody for listening. Really appreciate it. It really means a lot to us. So thank you all, and we will talk to you next week.